morning, everybody. Welcome back to the Pick 6 Podcast. Weekend hiatus. Felt weird to be away from everybody for, uh, you know, for, we're not together, but, you know, away. I was, uh, I was up in the mountains, played some golf, had a good time, watched the derby, watched some basketball, lost a bunch of money on horses. Apologies for that. If you, uh, if you rode Mendelssohn, <laughs> you got Mendelssohn. And, uh, it's a stinger, but that's okay. Uh, shot a 42 on the front at old hound ears. Not a, not a bad little day for your boy on the golf course on Saturday morning. Tried to win some of the money back at that, uh, beat, beat up on a couple of my buddies up there. But let's get down to business and talk some football. Coming up today on the show to talk Eagles, the defending Super Bowl champions, Jimmy Kimsky of Philly Voice is joining us. And then the rest of the week is going to be spent analyzing the NFC North. Now, in, the, in all of these shows, we're going to talk news and stuff. So if there's anything interesting going on in the world of sports, we will, of course, cover that, or the world of football, as it were, cover that and then dive into the specific team that we're doing. Again, as I've noted, if you, if you have anybody you want to hear from for a specific team, we've gotten, you know, various different tweets about this hit me up at will brinson on twitter or at pick six pod on twitter please follow the podcast and please 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 keep rating and reviewing you people are very kind to write the nice things that you write uh mostly on itunes about me and about this podcast i I make my wife read all of them she hates reading them I don't care. She's going to have to read them. She's got just to listen to me read them. And uh, I routinely send them to my boss every time one is posted to say, hey, look at this. Check it out. Uh, Lou from Charlotte. Very nice note about Taco Bell in there as well. And so so keep, keep rating and keep reviewing. We're going to hit the NFC North this week. I'll give you the schedule. It's booked. I don't, I hate to do this because I don't want it, I don't want somebody to fall through or something like that. But Anthony Broom of 247 Sports, gonna talk to the Vikings. I'm gonna talk, talk about the Vikings, excuse me. Tori Petri of the Detroit Lions website, who is awesome at her job, is gonna talk to us about the Lions. Aaron Nagler, longtime friend of mine, um, is gonna talk about, who works for PackersNews.com, is going to talk Packers with us, knows, knows the team as well as anybody inside and out. And Dan Katz of Barstool Sports, aka Big Cat, is going to Join us to talk Bears. It's a pretty good lineup for the NFC North. Very excited about it this week. Um, things are probably going to get a little bit slow with the NFL, but we are going to keep pumping out this podcast on a daily basis. Make sure you subscribe and tell your friends. And uh, let's get to some news. First up, Mike McCarthy says that Sean Kaiser, who they traded for, uh, would have been in the same class as Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, and and the, and the big four. In this group, Baker Mayfield, of course, in that, in that group as well, and Sam Darnold. No, no, that's not true. I mean, I, I, I appreciate Mike McCarthy sticking up for his new quarterback, but it's just not true. I mean, Sean Kaiser wasn't in the big three last year with Patrick Mahomes, Mitchell Trubisky, and Deshaun Watson, and those guys would not have been at the top of this class. It's a, it's just a silly thing to say. Um, Speaking of those young quarterbacks, two of them who got drafted to AFC North teams, uh, Lamar Jackson and, 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 and Mason Rudolph, not getting some some friendly friendly fire from their uh, their 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 incumbent starters there. Joe Flacco and Ben Roethlisberger both complaining openly. Um, Joe Flacco was doing it silently, I guess, and not talking to reporters. Uh, ben Roethlisberger just flat out saying that he's not a fan of this Mason Rudolph pick. Yeah, look, I, I get it. You know, you're the incumbent, you're the starter, you're the franchise quarterback. You've been there forever. It is a shot at 
at your mortality to let you know that they've drafted a quarterback. But the reality is that the Steelers and the Ravens need their quarterbacks to help usher in the future by being nice to their, their new young guys. It's certainly much more difficult if you're Joe Flacco because you're probably out of there. You're out of there after 2018. It's not probably. You're toast after 2018. For Ben Roethlisberger, he can play as long as he wants, and the Steelers would love to never see Mason Rudolph take a snap for them, meaning that he has to go full Jimmy Garoppolo and end up uh, leaving before they can even put him on the field as a starter. They would love that. That means Ben Roethlisberger is playing at a high level for a long time. And finally, Hugh Jackson says Todd Haley has total autonomy of the offense and that Tyrod Taylor will be the starter for the Browns despite Baker Mayfield. Reminder that don't believe anything that Hugh Jackson says in May, August, really anywhere. Just wait till wait till September. Find out what Hugh Jackson thinks. All right, as promised, joining us now from phillyvoice.com, king of stick figure drawing on Twitter, friend of mine, and a awesome follow at Jimmy Kimsky. Jimmy Kimsky, what's going on, man? What's up, Will? How are you? I can't complain. Off-season, we're doing a daily podcast, which has worked out pretty well. It's actually kind of fun to do, and it seems like people are enjoying it. We're doing these team-by-team dives, so why not talk about the Eagles? Pretty good off-season for, uh, for Philadelphia. Feels like... Is, is, is Howie Roseman in heat check form right now where he's just like throwing stuff out, you know, draft rugby guys at the end of the draft, just do whatever, do whatever he wants and sees how it works and just see how it works out because nobody's going to question him. <laughs> he certainly has more job security than he ever had. And I always thought he always had pretty good job security until Chip Kelly came around. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but he has, he has great job security and he, and for the first time in a long time, Philadelphia unanimously approves of the job he's done. Obviously, you know, when, he, when you take a team and you turn them around in two years and you win a Super Bowl, you know, obviously you're going to kind of get that unanimous support. But that's a first for him. So, yeah, when, he, when, when you draft a, a rugby guy to play offensive tackle when he's never played a down of football in his life, people just kind of go, eh, all right, he knows what he's doing. I mean, every single move he made in 2017, you know, sometimes, I mean, in life, in football and, you know, whatever you're doing, you just sort of, you sort of feel like you're, I mean, I don't know if you play golf or not, but you, you know, you feel like you're on a streak, maybe playing cards, whatever yeah. it is. And it just feels like Howie Roseman got everything to click. And even, even the smart dudes don't always get that guarantee. I, I mean, is he, did, did he really learn? Do you think he learned something when he was banished or whatever the hell it was, uh, you know, by Chip Kelly and, and sort of stuck in the closet in the Eagles organization and, and he, and he really came out with a renewed perspective? I mean, like, how did, how did he get to this point where everything he's doing is, is working right? I mean, trade for Jay Ajayi works out well. Everybody you draft yeah. for works. Ronald Darby's. I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah. And he starts that all the time. And you're right. Everything he did, even the preseason before, I mean, the preseason before was all about, trading up from 13 yeah. to 8, and then from 8 to 2, and drafting Carson Wentz, who looks like he could be a franchise quarterback for the next 10 to 15 years. So that was his 2016 offseason. Then you mentioned the 2017 offseason, and you're right. He hit on everything. I mean, even guys that they didn't think were going were gonna to hit. I mean, Patrick Robinson, for example, they, they just he pretty much acknowledged that that was kind of like a Band-Aid signing. And it was, to some extent, and that he was only on the team for one year, but they didn't expect him to get a you know, a huge deal. <laughs> they didn't expect him to get a huge deal somewhere else because of the kind of season that he had. And then you, they brought in a lot of older guys like uh, like Eric Blunt, who paid off. They brought in Chris Long, who yeah. paid off. They even brought in a guy like Corey Graham, who served as a third safety. And I thought they had a decent draft for, for whether Derek Barnett was, was certainly a contributor in this rookie season. And you're right. So everything that he did, 
uh, over the last two off seasons since coming back as the general manager really kind of has uh, gone exceedingly well. Obviously, I mean, they won the Super Bowl just in a two-year turnaround. Yeah, and I mean, like, you, you didn't even mention, I mean, you trade for, I mean, there's a lot of stuff you mentioned, but you trade for Timmy Jernigan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I mean, you hijack, yeah. you hijack mm-hmm. Ozzie Newsom, and then you go out and you sign Alshon Jeffrey to a, you conv- convince this guy who's a, if, if Alshon Jeffrey hit the market this year, he would have gotten a crazy amount of money when you oh, see yeah. what Allen Robinson and Sammy Watkins got. You talk him into a $8 million contract on a one year deal because the Bears yeah. don't franchise tag him. It, yeah, they hit on everything. Um, I, I get, when you, Start to spin it forward and look at 2018. What what is the Eagles' biggest weakness? Because I did a fatal flaw type of column for <laughs> you know the, my editors assigned it. it. Ended up being four thousand words for every single team. And the two the two teams I really struggled with were the Eagles and the Saints. And ultimately, I came yeah. down with Philadelphia. Is the, to me their only fatal flaw in 2018 was is the health of Carson Wentz and whether he comes back and is um, and is, is ready to go. And even then, they still have Nick Foles. W- what's the weakness? on this Eagles roster. Sure, actually, I agree with that. Uh, it's the health of Wentz, and then they have another, they have a, a number of guys that are that are coming back from injuries, and some are a little bit a little bit more under the radar than others. Alshon Jeffrey had surgery; they're going to get Jordan Hicks back uh, from you know his Achilles tear. They re- just re-signed Darren Sproles; he's re- you know recovering from an ACL tear. Um, right on the line, Jason Peters is recovering from an ACL tear. Uh, Timmy Jernigan now it was just revealed. Uh, on uh, Thursday, I think that he had back surgery. So when you have a 300 pound guy, you know, with back surgery, he's going to be out four to six months. That's a problem too. So I think it's just, you know, getting all these guys back and healthy is the fatal flaw. But when you look at their roster, you look at their depth chart, it's hard to find any holes. <laughs> I mean, I mean, leading up to the draft, we, we were kind of, you know, me, we, meaning the Eagles beat writers were kind of, you know, trying to figure out what might be uh, an area of need that, that they'll look at and, you know, one of the common ones was offensive tackle, which sounds crazy considering they arguably have the best offensive tackle tandem in the NFL in Jason Peters and Lane Johnson. And then they have a swing tackle in Halapulabati Vitae who nice. came in and, and <laughs> filled in for Jason Peters. And the offense didn't go on the toilet. So, like, you see what happened to Dallas last year when they lost Tyron Smith and they had a, a couple different guys fill in and their, their offense just, just went in the tank, really. The Eagles didn't have that problem because Vitae, you know, kind of served, you know, he kept that offense afloat. So you have the, you know, arguably the two best offensive tackles in the NFL or tackle tandem and then a a good depth. And we were coming up with that as like one of their biggest needs. (laughs) It's kind of, it's kind of crazy that, that, that was one of their biggest needs. And they drafted two of them, uh, you know, in in advance of, of Jason, whenever Jason Peters decides to hang them up. But that's how deep they are. And when you're when you're looking at offensive tackle, and they have the kind of guys they already have in place. Yeah, I mean, they, it, it's crazy. Do you do you think that? I think I read this somewhere, and I and I can't remember if it was your something you wrote or something one of the other guys wrote. And by the way, the the Philly media, Philly, do you guys get does the Philly media get along? Because it's like a it's a very it's a big market. <laughs> It's like, I mean, it's a big market. It's a competitive market like New York or like Boston. But, yeah. But I like all of you guys individually. Do you guys, do you guys get like, do you guys get along or is it, or is it super competitive? <laughs> yeah. Actually, it's kind of funny. Um, do you know who John Gonzalez is? Yeah. I think he's, uh, what is he? Uh, a, a Pisces boy. I don't know if you listen around the NFL podcast. Do you, do you listen to that? The- oh, okay. He's Colleen Wolf's husband. No, no, I know that. They do a big gag about John, like who is yeah, John okay. Gonzalez. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, but I, I don't know John personally, uh, but I but I do know him. We follow each other on Twitter. So he actually – so there was an incident where Jeff McLean got tossed 
from Jeff McLean of the Philadelphia Inquirer got yeah. tossed from the uh, from, from from the press box in the final game of the 2016 season. And uh, you know, the the one guy that really had his back in that incident was Les Bowen, who infamously punched him like five years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so like, so like uh, John Gonzalez in the aftermath of that wrote this whole thing about the Philly media. And you'd never know this because Philly's a big city, but it's certainly not like in New York or Chicago. It's not of that size, but it by by far and away has the biggest uh, football media contingent in the NFL. And it's really not even close. And the reason why is because Philadelphia is like the, the interest in the sports teams there. Like Philly, you put your hand like way over your head. The Eagles are there. And then you drop it way down and you kind of have like the Philadelphia 76ers and uh, the Phillies are kind of right around there, and you dive down a little bit more. Maybe you got the Flyers. I mean, just it's a it's a football town through and through. Whereas New York, you know, they're kind of more baseball focused. Boston is certainly more baseball focused uh, traditionally. So, uh, the old Eagles PR director, his name is Derek Boyko. He used to, you know, he he, he used to tell us all the time just how big we are in comparison to the other you know, media outlets and you never think it, but we, but we are and in terms of us getting along or not, you know, I think we all kind of have our own idea of the way that the team should be covered. And we all kind of have like different styles and whatnot. And we do kind of have public arguments <laughs> occasionally, which is, which is kind of funny. But uh, I think for the most part, everyone, you know, when we're, when we are in person, we all get along. And not to, not to navel gaze on a bunch of Philly media members, but, um, like, Le- by the way, imagine, trying to imagine Les Bowen punching somebody is difficult for me. I love Les. Uh, he lived in Charlotte <laughs> for a long time. Uh, Jeff McClain is, uh, is a, pa- is a friend too, and Zach Berman does a great job. There's tons, all of you guys do a great job. Uh, if you don't read Jimmy, you're making a mistake, phillyvoice.com and, uh, on Twitter, of course. But you, I like, I like the way you write because you have, what, for, you, you, you do it anyway, but you've been given the freedom to do it, but you inject, inject a, uh, a sense of mirth into your, into your prose, which I, as someone who, um, yesterday was told by a boss that we had to take a meme out of one of my stories, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I appreciate really? yeah, 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 well, it. Yeah. For copyright reasons, not, not for, um, uh, okay. Oh, okay. Gotcha. It was the burning Elmo gif. Uh, I was trying to, I was doing a, well, that- Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I like. I think. I think football and the NFL specifically need more mirth in our coverage. We get a little too serious sometimes. We're not covering anything important. Right. Sports. Yeah. Like, relax. Um, I noticed that you. Speaking of things you've written, I was reading your analysis of Doug Peterson and his giant huevos and points allowed versus points lost in 2018. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I think 2017, excuse me. I think the final total, if I'm not wrong, was 74 points gained by going forward on fourth down versus three points lost. That is exceptional. Do you believe? <laughs> yeah. That, do you believe? I mean, clearly that's going to give him some confidence to keep being aggressive. Do you think that that aggression is something that Doug Peterson was innately born with and came to Philly with, or is it something that he just sort of went along with because the analytical approach from the GM and Howie, and of course, even the owner and Jeffrey Lurie sort of yeah. gave him the confidence to do it. And now he agrees with the concept like how, like, how do you think that plays with his style of coaching? Cause you know, his mentor, um, so yeah, sort of, you know, odd, odd conservative guy at times in Andy Reid. Yeah, there are a lot of different angles to look at that. And the one that you hit on is the owner. That, that's a directive that came from the top and that he wanted his coach to whoever it is, whether it's Doug Peterson or whoever they you know might have hired otherwise uh, in 2016. They, he wanted that coach to be aggressive and to 
and to really uh, embrace the analytics and, and kind of do maybe do things that aren't um, traditionally accepted in the NFL, but, you know, maybe um, more conducive to winning. And going forward on fourth down and, and in two-point uh, situations was, you know, th- th- those are two of those things. And they actually have a system in place where uh, they have a guy's name is Ryan Pagnetti, and he's up in the booth. And he almost kind of, the way that I would uh, the, the way that I would really dumb it down would be is to say that he's almost like uh, like a twelve year old playing Madden. <laughs> like, so what I mean by that is like I feel like you have a twelve year old kid that all he does all day, like all for his, like he just all day all night as he plays Madden, and he just knows all the scenarios and the situations and you know when to go for it and when to not go for it. They're kind of like survives in that way. He's constantly in Doug's ear, uh, you know, before, you know, it, it can be like second and 12, and he can be talking about, you know, whether they want to go for it on fourth down um, in, in advance. So, like, there's a lot of time in between plays in the NFL. Doug's still, you know, calling the plays, so there, there's only so much that a head coach can, can think of in between plays. So he has this guy in his ear from the booth, and this is something that I'm sure the NFL is going to start to copy you know, big time, because I don't think a lot of teams really um, kind of have this approach, but this guy, Ryan Pagnetti, is really kind of a, a, a smart guy. He doubles as a, as, a, as an assistant linebackers coach, actually, but he's up there in the booth, and he's kind of going through all the analytics of, of, you know, whether to go for it. It's a 52% chance of, of, of whatever. This, this one is a 75% chance, of a six, whatever. And he, he's just going through with Doug, and, and then ultimately Doug makes uh, sort of a gut call based on, you know, the information that he's getting from, from above. And as you noted in that piece, uh, I wrote that actually like two months ago, so I don't remember if there were two or three months ago. I don't remember the, the actual numbers behind that. Uh, well, yeah, I happen to see it on Twitter today for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah, so I tweeted it again because uh, they had just picked up his fifth-year option. Or they picked up, picked up a, 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 an option for, for his fifth year, so he's under the team's control for right. 2020. That's Doug Peterson now. So I just put that out there, you know, just kind of like a – Hey, here's some extra page views for me. Click but, on this because I like the piece that I did three you, months ago. You got at least you got at least one click out of it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, good. All right, that's good. But yeah, so uh, uh, I remember one call that he made. It was like week three against the Giants, where it was fourth and eight, and I think they had the I think they had the ball on the Gi- like right around the Giants. Uh, it was the Giants' forty something yard line. It was fourth and eight, and he went for it. He didn't get it. Carson Wentz got sacked on the play. And the Philly media and fans, great talk show radio, they lost their minds yeah. over this decision for him to go for it on fourth and eight. And it's like, I, I, can, I couldn't wrap my head around people's anger over it. Like, isn't it, isn't it exciting when you have, like, those kinds of situations? Like, oh, my God, they're, go, they're going for it. And when you're a fan, like, of, a, of, a, of the other team, have you ever had a situation where, you know, a team's, it's like fourth and one, and you're like, I don't, I don't want to go for it. They send out the punt team, and you go, oh, good. Yes. Doug's the opposite of that. Like, he, he goes for it, and the fans of the other team go, oh, crap. So, like, you know, he, he kind of he, he kind of makes it more fun in that sense. But also, I don't think it was totally out of line for him to go for it on fourth and eight. You get it? You're almost certainly going to get at least three points, and you might get seven. If you don't, you know, it's really only, you know, 20, 30 more yards than, than if you – than if you punt in that situation. So people lost their minds over that. But over the course of the season, and of course, as we saw in the Super Bowl with the quote-unquote Philly special when they went for it on fourth down and on fourth and goal and they wound up scoring, really I thought that propelled them to that win. If they don't, he doesn't make that call, maybe they don't win that game. 
So really, I mean, his aggressiveness throughout the entire season, both during the regular season and in the playoffs, kind of helped them win the Super Bowl. No, I man, I I I agree with you completely. You know, completely in that respect. Like, if they don't, if if the, if Doug Peterson plays the Super Bowl con, in a conservative fashion. You know, regardless of how they got there, if he if he's conservative once he gets on the big stage against Bill Belichick, who's had two weeks to prepare for the Eagles and Tom Brady, yeah. you know, with 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 a defense that while it was great during the regular season, couldn't get after the Patriots. They don't. I mean, they don't win that Super Bowl. I mean, and yeah, I mean that's that, that's. A, do you do you think that this is going to be something that you you said you think the NFL will copy? You know, having a Dartmouth grad and a um uh you know anal you know I think uh Skinetti or uh, has a uh, Pagnetti, excuse me, has a, a, degree, it's a degree in economics from Dartmouth <laughs> College in 2014, um, and he, you know, joined as an analyst or whatever. Do you think that teams are going to try to be more aggressive in the NFL and follow this Doug Peterson approach, or is it? To me, the problem is you can talk about being aggressive all you want throughout the week, but as soon as you get there on Sunday and the lights are on and it's fourth and short, it's a lot easier to punt. Like it's just, it's just inherently easier to punt yeah. for these naturally conservative guys. Well, first of all, did you say Skagnetti? And is that the guy? Is that like the uh, the parole officer? Of the yeah. Movie? <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the ultimate like like uh, like cop name too. I think so. My yeah, apologies. Right. To, my apologies to the Italian cop name. <laughs> yeah, that's right. My apologies to Ryan Pagnetti. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, your question on you know the team's going to copy? Yeah, they should. I mean, there there are. I think it's pretty well done. I mean, it's all over. The New York Times has, this, has you know, uh, studies out on, you know, you should go for it in these situations and don't go for it in these situations. And their recommendations are, are you know, far more aggressive than what teams actually do. Yeah. And then I think 538 had something like that as well, or I'm, I, may, I may be citing the wrong people. But anyway, there, there are tons of studies out there that, you know, say that teams don't go for it as much as they should. And they should go for it. I think. What ha- you know what happens if a team goes for it and they get it, it's forgotten. Mm-hmm. So on Monday morning when the when they're talking about the game, it's just all right, we got it, and that's it. If they go for it and don't get it, that's talked about for the entirety of it. They don't for they don't they go for it, don't get it, and lose. That's talked about for the entirety of the week. So like the 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 praise that you get for going for it and converting. Does not at all match up in any way with not going for it and, oh, I'm sorry, with going for it and not getting it. So I think teams and coaches kind of shrivel up in those situations because they are afraid of, uh, of that criticism. And, you know, coaches and, and, you know, GMs and whoever else in the NFL, they have very short shelf lives. So you go for it enough times and you don't get it and the perception is you're a bad coach, you're going to be gone. So, like, I think that's part of the uh, the negative aspect of, of going for it in, in the coaches' minds. But really, if they did go for it more, they'd be putting themselves in better situations to actually win games. Yeah, and I was looking back at the game log from that New York Giants game. I forgot that um, that happened. And I remember, I now remember watching it. But when Carson Wentz got sacked, the Giants then tried to go down and and score late, and they actually went for it on fourth and one from the Eagles one, did. ironically, and didn't get it, of course. And people were, yeah. roast, people were roasting Tom Coughlin for that, too. Because, I mean, not Tom Coughlin, yeah. Ben McAdoo. Ben McAdoo. Yeah. yeah. Um, when you look at this NFC East, okay, let's, let's play a game instead of me asking you this question. Describe 
The describe the. I'm going to give you. I'm going to name the team, and you give me a try and give me a one word answer to describe uh, the the opponents in the NFC East. Washington Redskins. Okay. Uh, I, only one word. But you can give one sentence, whatever it is. Just. Oh, okay. Uh, Jimmy Kimsky's unfiltered thoughts on these on the for, NFC East opponents. <laughs> for, uh, gotta get that owner out of there. <laughs> that's a that's a good one. Uh, New York Giants. Mm. Analytics challenged. <laughs> All right, I'm going to come back to that one. Dallas Cowboys. Delusional. Oh wow! All right, these are those are good answers. Okay, so the, the <laughs> I've been like I've been having this argument, and I'm sure you have too. And you you tweeted a picture of Gettleman doing the nerd thing at his press conference. Well, sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like I, I mean, here's here. I, I don't I don't understand how. I understand the concept of identifying your running back in the draft and going after him. And I don't want to, I don't want to turn this into a Saquon Barkley discussion, but the the hubris involved in mocking people who have an opinion about taking a running back (laughs) second overall when the Giants and and bypassing a, a quarterback and a pass rusher, when the Giants won their two Super Bowls with Dave Gettleman in New York by virtue of having Eli Manning, a franchise quarterback of sorts, making huge throws and defensive ends who got after the opposing quarterback, in this case, both times, Tom Brady is insane to me. Like they, they had Ahmad Bradshaw and, uh, Brandon Jacobs and Derek Ward were their running backs and none of those guys were taken before the fourth round. I don't understand right. why Giants fans are, are caping up for Dave Gettleman this spot yeah i mean he said in his post saquon press conference um or post you know after they drafted him he said that uh, this direct quote positional value is a crock (laughs) like (laughs) what are you serious there are 32 gm jobs in the nfl and one of the GMs actually said in a press conference, positional value is a crock. So you're telling me that the importance of a quarterback isn't higher than a than the importance right. of it's, I mean, you could really stretch it if you wanted to. So I'm certainly he doesn't believe this, but it's, it's the same. It's the same importance as a punter. Why don't you just take that guy from Texas that that, that, that people think might be to become the best punter in the NFL? So like, all right, so I'm stretching it there. But I mean, not really. You have taken. The, the idea of taking a running back at, at number two overall, and and I know you don't, don't want to turn this into a Saquon discussion. Great kid, run outside, can run inside, can catch, can pass protect. There's no flaws in this game, and he's dynamic, and he's explosive, and he's great, and blah, 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 blah. But when you don't have an offensive line, mm-hmm. and you have a quarterback that's 37, and you're probably not going to be drafting number two overall again, I mean, I get it if you're not in love with one of the quarterbacks, uh, I mean, if you're just going to sit around and wait for an Andrew Luck kind of prospect to come around, it's probably never going to happen for you. I mean, you look back over the last two decades, every single quarterback prospect that has panned out has some kind of flaw heading into the draft. At some point, you got to take a leap and take one of those guys. And I personally think Eli is not anywhere near the same quarterback he was at one point. Even you know, and, and even then, I think you, know, you look at his career; he had two great playoff runs, but otherwise. Yeah, good quarterback. Yeah, not, not that great. good. Not that good. He's not that good. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, I mean, even if you don't like the quarterbacks, I'd still, like, if they took Bradley Chubb, for example, I'd be totally fine with that. Because at least, you know, you look at quarterback and offensive tackle and pass rusher 
and even cornerback maybe if, if you have like a star like a Jalen Ramsey coming out or something like that. All right, I'm fine with that. But taking a running back in that spot, when it's been proven over and over again that they have short shelf lives in the NFL and they don't impact the game the way that they used to in, in you know in this modern NFL, it just it just blows my mind that he thinks the positional value is a crock. It, it it's crazy, and I mean like again. I- it's a smart, it's a smart football discussion, and I, I was on the Bill Barnwell show and talking about this, and I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. And but the reason I brought it back up too is because I've, I've been getting these, just having discussions on Twitter and via email with random people like, over the last twenty four hours with people just still explaining to me that Saquon is special and that these quarterbacks suck. These quarterbacks <laughs> don't suck, okay? I mean, like Daniel, right. Daniel Jeremiah is. I mean, one of the smartest guys out there in terms of this draft stuff, and he has, and he had, and this is, you, you know this, coming into the draft, Sam Darnold, in each of their respective years, Sam Darnold, higher than Jared Goff, higher than Carson Wentz, higher than Watson, higher than uh, Mahomes and Trubisky. I mean, Sam Darnold's like 20 years old and a really good quarterback prospect, and if you draft him at 20, you might end up having him on your roster for 18 or 20 years. If you draft Saquon yeah. Barkley, best case scenario, he's Emmett Smith and becomes the all-time leading rusher, and he's on your roster for 13 years. I mean, it's, it's just, right. it's just insane. So, uh, but onto the Cowboys, you mentioned delusional. Um, we had, uh, on, on a Friday show, and this is airing Monday for those that, um, for those that are listening and, and for, for your sake, Jimmy, uh, the, uh, we had, uh, the a Cowboys guy on who pointed out that, um, the offense, people are trying to sell me on this Cowboys wide receiver depth chart. I, I'm not, I'm not buying the, yeah, well, I mean, I don't know what there is to sell. <laughs> what, 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 Alan yeah, Hurts? What were the selling points still have? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, is, who's their one? Is, is it Hearns? They, is I Alan mean, Hearns their I, number I, one receiver right now? I guess so, unless it's Terrence Williams or unless it's Cole Beasley or unless it's the third-round rookie <laughs> Michael Gallup, in which case, I don't know. I they don't have a one. That's the problem. <laughs> and they don't have their tight ends. I mean, they have four tight ends on the roster, as I understand. Those four guys have... Nine receptions in their career. All by Jeff Swain, who I'm sure has a highlight video with um, motivational rap behind it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, By some by some Cowboys fan. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Do you think that? Do you think that this Dak Carson? I mean, last year at this time, we were all having a Dak versus Carson Wentz discussion, and now it's just it's a laugh riot because you would just much rather have Carson Wentz than Dak Prescott. Yeah, I think it was a good debate last year, and it was a worthy one. Obviously, Dak had an amazing season, he had, and, his, and his production was far better, clearly, than Wentz. Although I think that some people could kind of look at the two quarterbacks and their skill sets and kind of go, eh, kind of like what Wentz has there a little better. And then, uh, yeah, after this past year, and obviously Wentz just, Wentz just blew right by him. Yeah. Um, all right, the Eagles, we'll get you out of here on this. The Eagles are a, a ten and a half win total team, according to Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. A very large number, not surprising at all. Um, up two games, I think, from last year, but they're the Super Bowl champions. They're expected to have Carson Wentz ready in week one. If they don't, they have Nick Foles. Um, they have a tough schedule, though, because they have to play, I believe, the AFC South and NFC South. NFC South in particular looks like it's going to have it, three very good teams, or at least two very good teams, yeah. and then two teams in in the Panthers and Buccaneers who could be real problems. What are your thoughts on the Eagles over under 10 and a half wins? Oh, you're right on that schedule. I mean, they play. So, um, of the, of the six teams that made the playoffs in the NFC, obviously the Eagles are one of them. They play all five of the others. Wow. <laughs> they play all, they play all the NFC playoff teams that, I mean, from a year ago. And they play two 
in the AFC, although those are being, you know, the Titans. Yeah. And Jaguars are, uh, we'll see what they are in 2018. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very difficult schedule. They're playing a first place schedule. I think they did get a little bit of a break because you mentioned Carson Wentz coming back. Even when he does come back, uh, he's probably not going to be, I mean, he may be 100% healthy, but he's not going to be 100% in terms of ability. Right. So his, his mobility is going to be affected when he, he's not going to have full mobility. Um, at best, they'll have full mobility at, at some point in the middle of the season. So they catch a little bit of a break. They get that first game at home against the, the Falcons, uh, which is a tough game. And then the next three games are against weaker opponents. I forget what they are off the top of my it's, head. Uh, uh, I got, I got you. One of them is no, Tampa. No, yeah, t- at Tampa in week two, Colts at home in week three, and at Tennessee in week four. Yeah. And, and you're right, those are – Okay, and, so and, the next two. The, 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 the two games after that are, are weaker opponents. So if they can take care of business in those two games – while kind of well, Wentz is kind of trying to get back up to speed. Then uh, I think I think that's going to work out for him nicely that way. Yeah, and I think you're right too because those first four teams, and I'm not you know denigrating the pass rush of the Buccaneers, which I think has improved, or saying that Vic Beasley and, and Grady Jarrett aren't great. But if you're going to pick four teams on this schedule that might not have a fantastic pass rush, those are probably the right. those are probably the four teams you would line up, and you know you're going to have Jason Peters at least you know healthy and and, and ready to go in week one of the lineup presumably, and um and and all the all those guys. So that's good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, I could probably go like if if you're asking me for a prediction on that, I'd, I'd say ten and a half is, is, is that's a good number. I'd lean over. Uh, I'd say eleven. Eleven wins. What do the Eagles repeat? Yeah, well, a lot of that is, uh, you know, is um, I think I think they're due for maybe a little bit of a of a downward trend from. I mean, you can even call them thirteen and two because they played their JV team in that week True. seventeen game True. against the Cowboys, so they're going to have a, maybe a little bit of a downward trend, I think. Uh, it's going to be hard to match what they did a year ago. Yeah, that's fair. And then the four games after that, by the way, Vikings at home, at Giants, Panthers at home, and at Jaguars before a week nine bye. That is it. That's a tough little stretch there. If they go three, and, yep. if they go three and one or uh, four and zero oh in that stretch, then they're going to have a monster season. If they go two and two or one and three, or I, I don't think they'll go zero oh and four, but at Giants is on a Thursday night on a on a short week. I mean, then all of a sudden yeah. you start to talk about some regression. But but yeah, I mean, this is the best team in the NFCs, and I assume you think that they win the division. Yeah, I would. Um, it's, it's funny, actually. The, the last team in the NFC East to repeat hmm. as uh, division champions was the Eagles in 2004. Wow. So there's, been, there's been a long drought in the NFC East in terms of teams repeating. So, you know, I mean, you look at a year ago, you never know what could happen. A year ago, the Cowboys were coming off a 13-3 and season in their own right, yeah. and everyone and their mother was picking them to win the division. So you never know what can happen um, especially in that division where they're really just, I don't even, I don't even think it's so much that the division is that great year or has been that great year in year out over the last, you know, decade and a half or so. It's just, I don't think there's been a really dominant type of team. You have the potential to, to be that, but I think uh, they got to string together uh, a follow up to their dominant season of a year ago to kind of prove it. Awesome stuff, man. Sorry to keep you as long as I did. Jimmy Kimsky no, all good. at Jimmy Kimsky on Twitter phillyvoice.com does excellent work uh, there and and, and in everyday in everyday life thanks jimmy thank you all appreciate it